0: If you will take your Bibles and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 17, 1 Samuel chapter 17, we're going to begin reading there in verse 31, 1 Samuel 17 beginning in verse 31. I'd like to say before we begin this evening, thank you for having me and thank you for putting up with me this weekend, it's been a wonderful weekend and Many of you have been here every single service, and I want you to know that I really appreciate that. You are an encouragement to me, and I hope that in some small way I have been able to encourage you. It has been great to have my wife and my three little ones with me, and that's unusual because normally I'm going out of town, and they're not able to go with me, and so it's really good to be able to have them with me and to... Let them meet you and you to meet them. And so it's been a blessing to be able to ride together over and and, and to ride back and, and to hear the laughter in the car and all those things that parents get to experience. I will say something. Somebody said something to me Friday apologizing about a child crying. And I said, you know, I don't hear babies cry at all when I'm preaching. Now I say that. With maybe one or two exceptions in my life where we're talking about ugly screaming and, and parents didn't even take their kids out. But when babies are just making a little noise and are just crying and the mothers are doing a great job, that is a sign of a growing church. That is a sign of growth and life and I can tell you what I notice more than when babies are crying It's when there are no babies to cry. And you notice that a lot more in the service than the other way around. And so for those of you who are parents of small children, I know that this weekend has been hard on you. And I am grateful to you for you putting the Lord first this weekend and for being here. And for showing that example to your children. Your children, although they are very young, they notice these things they pick up on these things from a young age, and my children pick up on these things. It's amazing the things they already learn, know and they've already learned about just priorities. And so thank you so much for being here. You are an encouragement to me, and I'm grateful to you for your encouragement. Uh, thank you so much for having me and my family uh, this week. First Samuel chapter 17, let's look at verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth while he has been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. Then Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head And he clothed them with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine and the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield-bearer in front of him. You know, from a very young age, the stories that we are told in our children's Bible classes just have a real way of capturing our attention and of captivating us. As a father, I have to tell you it's fun to watch as Liam and Nora and Simon learned some of these stories for the very first time, and as you can tell probably by my personality, I was a lot of fun, at least I thought, in telling these stories to them. For a long time, you would ask Liam, Liam, what would you like me to preach on, and Liam would say, David and Goliath, because he loved this story. It's a truly amazing story. And you know, for you, it may be the story of a boy who wore a coat of many colors, who was hated by his brothers, who was sold into slavery and thrown into prison, and then he rises above all of that to become the man in Egypt. That may be the story that captivates you. It could be the story of a boy who was hidden in the bulrushes, and and, and they kept him alive, and he grew up to lead God's people out of Egypt. Maybe it's the story of a man who was called a man of prayer who was thrown into a lion's den and those lions did nothing to him. Or maybe even the three guys who were his friends who were thrown into a fiery furnace that was made seven times hotter than it was, was at first. But yet they survived and no harm came to them. They defied the odds and that story captivated you as a child. Or maybe it is this story of a young shepherd boy who when everybody else was scared to death he said I'll go and I'll go and I'll fight this Philistine giant. Maybe it's the story of David. How that every day this huge giant came and intimidated God's chosen king. King Saul. And let me remind you this was the king that looked the part this was the king that looked like a king and yet Saul was scared to death and how this Giant came and and taunted the armies of the living God. God's chosen nation and God's chosen people. And every day he said, bring forth one man to come and fight me and we will determine the outcome of this battle just between the two of us. And nobody volunteers because they are scared to death. They are afraid. And then one day, this young confident shepherd boy comes from a distance to bring some lunch to his older brothers and he sees what is happening and he is offended because there is nobody who will take on this giant and who will settle this battle and so he volunteers. He says, I'll go. He signs up to take on this giant and everybody else tells him that he is absolutely out of his minds. He is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. He is absolutely nuts. Those of you in my age bracket will get the cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs reference, okay? But everybody tells him you can't do it. It's not going to work. David, you're crazy. And as we've just read, this boy has all of this confidence. You might even say that he exudes with confidence. And he says, gentlemen, listen, God has been with me before. He has helped me kill lions. He has helped me kill bears. And he will help me kill this uncircumcised Philistine. I'm going to go and I'm going to fight. And so Saul takes his own armor and tries to put it on David. And David essentially says, nope. That's not going to work. I don't need that. And so he goes out to a brook and he chooses five smooth stones. And he uses a sling. And as our children sometimes sing, one little stone went up, up, up. And the giant came tumbling down. Why does this story catch our attention like It does. Why is this the story where as children we hear it and we want to hear it again and again and again? Why is this story such a good story? Can I tell you it's not just a story, it's a real event. And by the way, sometimes we read these stories in the Bible and we think of Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I tried hard not to say a billy goat. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego I almost did it again. And we hear these stories and we think great fairy tale. Once upon a time, in a land far, far away, and they all lived. And you can answer that, right? Happily ever after. These stories were real events. They really happened. And this one here captivates us because I believe it's the classic story of the underdog. And we understand what it means to be an underdog at least when other people play Alabama they understand what it means to be an underdog right we can say that oh man I've offended the Auburn fans again sorry but the reality is is we know what it means to be an underdog why is that it's because we can go on ESPN tomorrow morning Or we can go on CBS Sports or Fox Sports or on the internet or something like that and we can hear all of these Monday morning quarterbacks talk about who should have won the Super Bowl and who was the underdog and we can hear all of these commentators comment on these things. We know what it means to be an underdog and we know what it's like to hear reference after reference in sports to David and Goliath. But it also captures our attention because I think deep down inside of us is a part of us that wants to believe that we can overcome and that we can overcome anything. And that regardless of the overwhelming odds that are against us, that with God on our side, we can fight the good fight and we can face a Goliath just like David faced a Goliath. Whatever that Goliath represents in your life, that with God on your side, you can face that Goliath. And, and what happens in life, I think, is that as we age and get older, that these stories become a lot more than some child's fable. And that they become real stories. And so this evening what I want us to do is I just want to talk to you for just a few moments. About how we can be a David. And how we can trust in the Lord. Four things and then the lesson will be yours. Number one, if you're going to fight a Philistine giant, it starts with this. You have to trust God. At the end of the ball game, David trusted God. And what is really interesting about this story to me is is that what happens when David volunteers for the job, because King Saul essentially looks at David and says, you are out of your mind. What does David do? How does David respond to that? Look back at verse 33 and notice what it says. Saul said to David, you are not able to go against the Philistine to fight with him for you are but a youth, while he has been a warrior from his youth. Saul's saying, you are out of your mind. This guy has been fighting for as long as you've been alive, David. Look at him. He is ginormous, and you actually think you can win this battle. And of course, we've already read David's response to Saul, David essentially says, hey, I've killed lions, I've killed bears, This, I'll kill this uncircumcised Philistine, God will deliver me from this giant, and Saul essentially says, and I love what Saul says, he says, okay, <laughs> may God be with you, and please understand that I don't know that Saul really trusted in God to think that God was going to deliver David from the hands of this giant. In fact, I don't think Saul trusted in God to deliver David from the hands of this giant at all. I think the story reads that way. And so, for Saul, it just did not make sense to trust in God. But David trusted in God even when it did not seem to add up. And here's why. It's because David trusted in the Lord from his youth. You see, parents, David was taught to trust the Lord from his youth. And I think that's a really important lesson for us to think about. David wasn't just running his mouth. David wasn't just writing checks that his body could not cash. He went and he took on Goliath. You see, Goliath was a warrior from his youth. David trusted in God from his youth. Take your Bibles in Mark 1 Samuel 17 and go over to Psalm 71. Psalm 71. And notice what the psalmist says in verse 5. Psalm 71. And notice what the psalmist says in verse 5. The psalmist says, for you are my hope, O Lord God, you are my confidence from my youth. Look down at verse 17. O God, you have taught me from my youth, and I still declare your wondrous deeds. You see, when children are taught from their youth, they can have faith to trust God just like David had. That doesn't mean that you might not find God later on in your life. And, and learn to trust God later on in your life. But the point is still made here regardless of that. That when you're taught from your youth the right way. It's a lot easier to trust God when you're faced with a Goliath. Because you have faith in God. David had been learning from God and trusting in the Lord for a very, very long time. You see, life had taught David that God would be with him. He trusted in the Lord. And ladies and gentlemen, let me just say this, that whenever we are up against the odds and whenever you have trouble in your life, whenever you are facing circumstances that are beyond your control, what we need to learn is the same thing that David teaches us here and that is to trust God do you remember Proverbs 3 and verse 5 through verse 8 trust in the Lord and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight do not be wise in your own eyes Fear the Lord and turn away from evil, for it will be healing to your body and refreshment to your bones. Don't lean on your understanding, your own understanding. Trust God. Don't lean on your own strengths. Trust God. Don't lean on your own intellect and your own wisdom and your own abilities. Trust God. Trust His ability. Trust His intellect. Trust His wisdom. You know, sometimes we sing songs like, Be not dismayed, whate'er be tied. God will take care of you. And I wonder, when we're singing that, if everybody really, truly means that. I wonder if people meant that three years ago. In 2020, when we were faced with the aftermath of the outbreak of COVID-19. I wonder if we really mean that when we're facing obstacles in our life. Maybe you're having marriage troubles. Do you believe God will take care of you? That if you trust God, He's going to take care of you. Or maybe you're having this moment with your teenage children and you just don't know what to do. Do you trust that God will take care of you? As long as you trust in Him, He will be faithful and He will take care of you. Do we trust God like David trusted in God. You know, as I look back on my own life, and especially as I look back on my life as a preacher, I have learned a lot of lessons. But everything that I've ever learned comes back to this one point: trust God. Because let me just tell you that when David went to that brook and chose those five stones, it wasn't because he was convinced that he was the best stone slinger in town. It was because he was convinced that even with five stones, God would take care of him. Again, David trusted in the Lord. And that doesn't sound like a very hard thing to say from the pulpit, does it? That doesn't sound like a hard thing to preach. You would expect somebody to come and preach about David and say, hey, trust God, right? But how easy is it for you to really trust him when times are tough? Jesus said it this way. I've said it a lot this weekend. I'll say it again. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Trust him. Put him first. And let me tell you, when your circumstances are hard and when life is challenging, and when you just seem like and when it just seems like things are absolutely impossible, what you have to learn to do is trust God. And I say that because you, because you can't face a Philistine giant without trusting in God. But number two, if we're going to fight. A Philistine giant, you better learn to give the glory to God. In other words, we've got to learn to honor God. Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and look back at verse 26. We did not read this earlier, but look back at what it says. 1 Samuel 17 and verse 26, the Bible says, Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Now, don't overlook this verse. Because there's a very important point in this verse. These are not just the armies of some nation out there. These are the armies of the living God. David understood that they belong to God. These are God's people. And ultimately what he is doing here is he's giving all the glory to God. We need to understand that. Because King Saul did not do that. Where was King Saul while all of this was going on? Have you ever thought about that? He was hiding in a tent somewhere. He was allowing fear to consume him. And the rest of Israel was doing nothing more than playing a children's game of follow the leader. You see, David understood and never lost sight of the fact that God was the ruler of Israel. Look at verse, uh, verse 37 again. The Bible there says, and David said, the Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And of course, Saul said to David, go and may the Lord be with you. Notice again that David honors God by giving him the credit and giving him the glory for everything in his life. And even in the face of this giant, he continues to honor God and to give him all of the credit. In fact, look down at verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you, and I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth. All the earth may know that there is a God in Israel and that all this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's and he will give it into your hands. It's like the song we just just sung. The battle belongs to the Lord. David's whole purpose was to glorify God and not just to teach this Philistine a lesson. He wanted Israel to learn a lesson. He wanted Israel to know that they had forgotten who they were and they had forgotten who God is and they had forgotten what God can do. David wanted Israel to know that. He wanted the whole congregation to know and to be reminded of who God was. In verse 46, he wanted the whole world to know the God of Israel. Now, for just a moment, let's pause And let me ask you this, when you have success in this life, who do you give credit to? Do you call your friends and say, look at what I have done? Do you boast about how hard you have worked and how great you are? And and, and do you talk about it on Facebook or Instagram or, or do you give the glory where it should go do you glorify God here's how you will know when someone comes up to you and gives you a compliment how do you handle that do you ever give God the glory have you ever told them in that moment you know I really appreciate that but God has really blessed us today I have to tell you, sometimes we look at the athlete. We're going to look at the athlete tonight, right? And sometimes we look at that guy who will say in the post-game interview, he'll say, I just want to thank God and my personal Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And, and we are tempted to think to ourselves that that guy doesn't care a thing about God and about giving God the glory. And God definitely doesn't care about this game. You know, that may or may not be true, but there is something that we can learn from that athlete. And that is we need to learn to give God the glory for good things in our life. To God be the glory, great things he hath done. I think one of our greatest temptations today is that instead of promoting God, we like to promote self, don't we? You ever thought about that? you ever met people who all they do is they promote self? They they brag about themselves on Facebook. They get on Instagram and talk about how great they are with their little posts and pictures and things of that nature. And the world tells us that if you have to get out there, if you're going to get out there in this life, if you're going to make something of yourself, then what you have to do is you have to promote self. Self, 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 self. There's even a magazine. You know what it's called? Self. That I've got to talk about me. I've got to talk about my. I've got to talk about number one on my, me, my, right? We know what the song is. That we've got to constantly be in the business of promoting self. David was not in the business of promoting self. David was in the business of promoting God. Isn't there a verse in Matthew 5 about that? Let your light shine in such a way that men may see your good works and glorify you because it's all about you, right? And glorify your Father who is in heaven. You see, as a Christian, it's not about me. It's about God. Promote God. Sometimes we do This in the local church sometimes. Preachers sometimes do it. Elders sometimes do it. Song leaders sometimes do it. We even do it for the whole world to see. We brag about this or that. We do it a lot. We spend so much time talking about ourselves. And we spend so little time talking about God. If I am going to boast about anything, ladies and gentlemen, I'm going to take my cue from the Apostle Paul on this one, and I'm going to boast in my weaknesses and when I compare myself to anybody on, the, in, on this earth, I'm going to compare myself to Jesus. And do you know why? It's because when I compare myself to Jesus, I see myself for who I really am. I'm a flawed individual, individual. I'm a lost individual. And without the grace of Him, I would be completely hopeless. And we see ourselves that way. We're going to give God all the glory. For the great things that he's done. Number three. If we're going to fight a Philistine giant. You better be positive. I can't stress this enough. You know we live. In a really negative world. And the temptation. For us. Is to be negative. People. Can I just say. We need to be more positive. In our lives than we are. I, mean, I want you to think about it. When I grew up. In Columbia, Tennessee, or Cullioca, Tennessee, when I was small, and we turned the news on, believe it or not, the news was actually kind of happy. I know that's hard for y'all to to get today, but does anybody remember that? You can do this if you want to. Does anybody remember that the news was kind of happy? We'd we'd hear good stories about the teacher of the year and all the good that she's done, and and we'd hear all these other good things going on. Do y'all remember that? I mean, before I would go to school, Dad would have the news on, and we'd be sitting there, we'd be watching it. It was actually happy news. And now today, if you turn it on CNN or MSNBC or Fox News, the doom and gloom networks, I put all of them under there. I know that's going to hurt some feelings today, and I'm sorry. But what do they talk about? Negativity. And all of the negative things that are happening In our lives And in our world Just think about the attitude that David had In contrast to the rest of the armies of Israel Go back to 1 Samuel chapter 17 and look at verse 11 The Bible says here that when Saul and all Israel heard these words of the Philistine They were dismayed and greatly afraid You see every single day Goliath would come out and Goliath would challenge them. And every single day, they ended that day discouraged, dismayed, disheartened, afraid. And it was like that because they were so focused on all of the negatives and they could not see the light at the end of the tunnel. They focused on their doubts. They focused on their fears. They focused on their worries and their weaknesses. I imagine some of them did not even get to sleep because they were so anxious, they just rolled around in bed wondering if they were going to live to see another day. We are but grasshoppers in his sight. Nobody can possibly beat this giant This was the most negative group of people, ladies and gentlemen, to ever live. Or at least so it seems. But notice David. And notice that he saw Goliath as more than just some predator. For David, Goliath was just another lion. Goliath was just another bear. Look at First Samuel seventeen and verse thirty-six again. Uh, David says there, he says, "The servant, your servant, has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God." David was different. David did not listen to all of the negatives. And if there, if there was ever anybody who was tried to be talked out of something. And who was given every reason in the book for why this just wasn't going to happen. It was David. And look at 1 Samuel 17 and verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. And Eliab's anger burned against David. And he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart for you have come down in order to see this battle. What did David his own or Eliab David's own brother say? He said, "What are you doing here? Go home. You don't belong here." But David wouldn't listen. Even Saul tried To discourage David from fighting Goliath. And David would not listen. Saul was trying to tell David it wasn't going to work. And then even Goliath tried to discourage David from fighting him. Look at verse 43. Goliath said to David, am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistines cursed David by his gods, or the Philistine did. The Philistine also said to David, come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Goliath threatened David. David would not listen. Every time David is tempted to run away, he never backs down. Can I tell you what David teaches us? He teaches us that one person with God on his side is the majority. One person with God on his side is the majority. Because one person with God on his side can overcome anything. It doesn't matter what is happening in your life right now. It could be church problems. Again, it could be marriage problems or parenting problems or problems at school or problems with friends or problems with your neighbors or problems with your health or problems on the job. Listen, life is full of problems. Can I just tell you something? Get used to it. If you haven't gotten used to that fact yet, just understand, life is full of problems. And by the way, that's not me being negative. I mean, I could sit here and say, life is full of opportunities. You know, and that would be a different way of looking at that, right? But I think we all know what I'm saying here. The reality is, life is full of problems. It's not the problems that make us negative, it's how we respond to the problems that make us negative, or positive. And so what does David teach us? He says, don't let your problems be bigger than God. Ladies and gentlemen, we need to remember, and I say that because sometimes Christians are tempted to be the most miserable and negative people on the face of the earth. Can I just tell you that? Sometimes we come into worship services And we have this sour look on our face and it looks like it's painful to sing. when we all get to heaven, perish the thought that we would all be in heaven together in the perfect place. And sometimes we just look like we're weaned off of a pickle. Sometimes we come in here and we have that sour disposition on our face. And let me tell you something, ladies and gentlemen, we should be happy to be here. Why? Because this place gives us a glimpse of glory. It gives us a glimpse of heaven. Do you realize we're going to be in heaven together forever? Yeah, the people in this room. We're going to be together in heaven forever. If you don't like somebody, well, you got better get work something out here. Because eternity is eternity, right? We have every reason in the book to be positive. So turn off the Fox News Or whatever news you listen to. And realize how much God has blessed you. And realize how much God has done for you. And be positive. Do you know why people suffer with anxiety and depression a lot of times? Do you realize what that is? It's a lack of being grateful and thankful for what God has done for you. And you know what happens when we don't have that positive outlook, when we're not living every day as thankful and grateful people? Do you realize what happens? The opposite. We're just like the armies of Israel who had no faith in God whatsoever. We are a negative mess, wallowing in our own misery because we don't trust in God. So I choose to be positive. I choose to trust in God and to glorify Him. Why? Why? Because that's what this story teaches us and that's what the Bible teaches us. And if we can't believe the Bible, what can we believe? Be positive. Because God has called us to be positive people. Then finally, very quickly, we need to be ready. I want you to notice that David took care of his own preparations. Now, I will say that that Saul tried to help. Look back at verse 38. Saul clothed David with his garments and put a bronze helmet on his head, and he clothed them with armor. David girded his sword over his armor and tried to walk, for he had not tested them. So David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. And David took them off. Now, we might be tempted to think that this means that the armor did not fit right, and that's a possibility. It was Saul's armor, not David's armor. But I think the greater part of all of this is that David really did not know how to use the armor. Why do I say that? It's because David was not used to it. I don't know if David had ever even worked with armor before. And I say that because David was not a warrior. David was a shepherd, David knew how to sling stones to protect his flock. But he was not a trained warrior. He was a trained shepherd. Look at verse 40. He took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook and put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand and he approached the Philistine. You know, part of what captivates us in this story is this image of this bold, large, overgrown warrior in armor with a spear that weighed more than David weighed. And then there's this little shepherd boy who is dressed in a tunic with essentially a fanny pack and a sling. No helmet, no shield, nothing really to protect him. And he wins. You see, David did what he was prepared to do. Here's the point. God used David as he was prepared. And that stresses the importance of us making preparations in our own lives. In Philippians 2 and verse 12, Paul tells the brethren in Philippi there to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. In other words, it's our job to do the work. And that means that God is not going to do everything there is to do for you. We have a part. You have a part in the action. You know, I think our problem is that sometimes we doubt the abilities that God has given us. Here's what I want to say about that. Your spiritual arsenal may be very, very small. But if you trust in God and you give God the glory, He can still use five stones in a sling to defeat your giants. In fact, He can use just one stone. And too many times, it's not just doubting our own abilities, but it is doubting the God who gave them to us in the first place. And here's the point God does not work in the lives, or God does work in the lives of those who love Him. I don't know about you, but I believe that with all of my heart, that God works in our lives. Now, please don't misunderstand me. I'm not teaching Calvinism here where where I'm saying that God is always working in our lives and everything that happens, God wanted it to happen. No, I understand Ecclesiastes 9 and verse 11 says, time and chance happen to all. I get that. But that does not dismiss that God does work in our lives. Through providence, through natural means, and I may not know how or when or what God is doing, but what I need to remember is that God is doing and that he may be using me and he may be using you as instruments in his providence. How awesome is that? And that that if I'll just trust Him and glorify Him and honor Him and be positive, that He will take care of me. And I can make a difference in this world regardless of what I'm faced with. I hope I've been able to encourage you in some way. Trust God. Glorify God. Be positive. Be ready. I hope that you'll do that. Thank you so much for having me and my family this weekend. And I hope that something that I have said can help you in some small way. To be the kind of person God wants you to be. You may be here and you're not a child of God. There is no better decision that I've ever made in my life than to serve God. Because, just like David, God has always, always provided for me and protected me and have has been there for me. The Bible says in Mark sixteen and verse sixteen, He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved. There may be somebody here today who has not done that. Don't leave here without entering into a relationship with Jesus through the waters of baptism. You may be here and you've done that, but maybe you just haven't trusted in God or glorified God. Maybe you haven't taken Him seriously. Maybe you have just been a negative mess and that's drug you down further and further to where your attitude is not right. Maybe you have some sin in your life that you just can't overcome and you need the prayers of the church to, to help you overcome. The, righteous, the faithful prayer of a righteous man can availeth much. Imagine what a church praying for you can do. So if we can help you in any way to be right with God this evening or this afternoon, let us help you. And let us help you right now as we stand together and as we sing.